We just want to worship the Lord this morning and lift him up as the, the great I am, the one we worship, our only God. You want to follow along with us as we go through the Bible this morning? Go ahead and raise your hand. We'll pass out a Bible to you. You can put it in the pew when you're done. <clears throat> I'm glad that you're getting back from the break and settling in, and I would like to especially welcome the new people that are here with us this morning. Hopefully you'll get a little taste of what we're about this morning and what we believe and what we want to do in our lives and for the Lord. So this is the deal. Our focus as we begin 2013, the first few months, is going to be upon revival. We want God to impact us so much that we are transformed in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands. We want to call it head, heart, hands. We want our head to be renewed by the Word of God. We want our hearts to be affected and changed to be worshipers. And we want to move out in our actions and evangelism and share in the gospel and acts of mercy. You may hear in a lot of churches that we need to get truth from our heads to our hearts, and that's enough. But at our church, we say, no, no, you move it from your head to get in your heart and show it out in your actions, your hands. And, and what we want to do, we want to start to live this radical Christian life, which we believe should be normal. The radical Christian life that you see in the Bible should be normal in the way Christians are supposed to live. So what we're doing is, is calling out to God, because only God can bring this revival in our lives and in our church. But there are things that we can do to prepare our hearts for this revival. And I, and I like to call these, these movements of what we can do prelude to revival. Prelude in the sense of a run-up to revival, where we can do certain things in preparation for the movement of God in our lives. And so here's the deal. In about two months, we're actually going to have a week called Prelude to Revival. It's going to last six days, and it's going to be an, an intense times of prayer and worship and getting in the Word uh, early in the morning. And you'll go to work and to school, and you come back, we'll be together again late at night, getting into the Word. We're going to hear about uh, 12 messages and tons of time for worship and prayer. And we hope that it impacts your life. Because you can think about these little markers in your life where you were highly impacted. For example, show me, give me a show of hands now. How many of you just went to Urbana? Yeah? So you, yeah, several of you went to Urbana. And maybe you've been to Urbana in the past. I went to Urbana back in 1993. Yeah, I'm old. It's just a Christian conference put on by InterVarsity. And I was, I was deeply impacted. And, and those of you, you have little things in your life. Maybe they were Christmas conference or something where you had this week of an intense time and it changed your life. Well, four years ago, we did Prelude to Revival. And many of you point to that week of an impactful week of God changing your heart and changing your lives. And we're hoping to see that movement in your lives and in our congregation again in about two months. And, but the deal is, as we move toward prelude to revival, we want to start to deal with those things that may hinder us from revival. Like, what are those sins in your lives that would keep you from revival and walking with God and radical, normal obedience? What are those things? And as we do this run-up to revival, we're going to see that the things that keep us from revival, we're going to classify those as the seven deadly sins. Maybe you've heard that classification before. The Bible doesn't necessarily say, here are seven deadly sins, because all sins are deadly, right? But what are 
historically the seven deadly sins? Well, we got issues of pride, envy, anger, sloth, lust, greed, and gluttony. Did I call out your sin? Or you're like, yeah, I got all seven of those. See, there there are these things in our lives that keep us from revival. And we're going to start working through these seven deadly sins. We want to be aware of them, repent of them, and find forgiveness. And today, we are going to start with pride. Any proud people in here? Any liars in here? All right. Everybody deals with the issues of pride, all right? And we're going to the book of Proverbs still. And so Proverbs talks a lot about pride. So let's turn to one verse, and then we'll see many others today. So turn to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 18. This will be kind of our launching point here. We go through books of the Bible at our church, and we've been going through Proverbs since the fall. Proverbs 16, 18, just to ground you in the text. Here we go. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Most of you, from a really young age, had parents that attempted to build up your self-esteem. They told you that you were so special and unique. And they probably told you in so many words that when God created you, he added a few extra options and bonus features that actually makes you better than other people. But just don't tell anybody. I mean, your parents really tried to build up your pride or your self-esteem so that you can feel good about yourself and what you're doing in life. And I'm not going to knock all of that because I am guilty of trying to inordinately build up the self-esteem of my children. And and sometimes it happens and I don't even know about it. So I'm going to give you an example of how I try to build up my kids' self-esteem, even on accident. So here's an example. Uh, I put a shirt, or someone put a shirt on my two-year-old daughter, and I want to show you a picture of her this week. I took a picture. This shirt says, I am that much better. How about that? Is that a message you've heard growing up? I am that much better. And, and too many times that... As we're building up our kids' self-esteem, I'm sure some of it is some healthy uh, aspect of it, but a lot of it is just building up of pride. So whether your parents stoked your pride or not, or maybe you were neglected as a child, and I am sorry, maybe you had some, you got some mommy-daddy issues, and I am sorry about that, but the reality is that every single person in here struggles with pride. just do. We all do. Often we just, we just want the tension to be on ourselves. We want the glory for ourselves. And we want people to focus on us. I don't know if you've ever heard of the comedian Brian Regan, but he has this whole gig where he talks about the me monster. That in social interactions, when you find the conversation shifting away from you onto someone else, you want to find a way to get that conversation to come back to you. Anybody guilty of that? It's like when they start talking about themselves, you want to say, me. No, no, me. No, no, me. It's the me monster. It comes out. We want the glory in ourselves. And there's other ways that pride manifests itself. For example, some of you are never wrong. 
I don't know how that's possible, but some of you are never wrong. And if someone wants to critique you, you'll defend yourselves. And some of you never want to be wrong, but you want to make sure that you know that other people are wrong. And so you have a habit of complaining and critiquing and criticizing other people. Am I talking about anybody here? Well, you talk about other people often. It's because you're always right. Or there are those of you in here who are always right that you never want to take advice from anybody. Like, when is the last time you actually took advice from someone else? You're like, well, I don't need to. (laughs) I'm always right. (laughs) I don't need to know anything. And so we have pride that is festering in us. And get this. The reason why we're starting with pride and talking about the seven deadly sins is that pride is the foundation of all sin, and especially the seven deadly sins. Let me show you something. There was this book going through by Jared Wilson called The Seven Daily Sins, not deadly, because we struggle with them daily. Now, look how all of them are rooted in pride. Let me read this to you. Lust is rooted in self-gratification. Gluttony is rooted in self-satisfaction. Greed is rooted in self-love. Envy is rooted in self-honor. And sloth is rooted in self-justification. And wrath is rooted in self-exaltation. Are you starting to see that we, we need to deal with pride first and foremost? Because it manifests itself in all these other different sins But the number one thing I want you to know about pride is this. God is opposed to the proud. A consistent message in the Bible is God is opposed to the proud. And he's opposed to the proud because this is what happened. Those who are proud seek glory for themselves and not for God. They seek to please themselves and not please God. And when God sees that, he is against it. He is against that person. So, do you understand and do you see if there's going to be a revival in our church and revival in our lives, we need to deal with pride. But it's not so easy to talk about because it's really subtle at times and it's hard to put your finger on it. You can kind of see it in someone else. You're not sure if you can see it in yourself. So there's a lot of ways we can go about this. So let me just kind of give you a structure of how I think about it. Whether it's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But this is how I think about pride. And I'm going to give it to you in the structure where we're going to go today. Let me put it up for you. Pride is independence from God and disregard for others. And humility is dependence on God and service to others. I kind of think that's how it plays out. So you can just think through that structure today, and we're just going to kind of start with the first one, pride being independence from God and disregard for others. You okay with that? Let's do that. So go back to Proverbs 16, 18, and that's where we're going to start. Proverbs 16, 18. Let's look at it again. The text says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, the idea of fall there, according to one scholar, is it means a shattering of your body or a fracturing of your limbs. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? That's the crash, the fall. But before the crash happens, there is this prelude called a haughty and a proud heart that comes before the fall. 
there's this upcoming movie, uh, a Star Trek movie called Into Darkness, and I'm not seeing any of the Star Trek movies. Don't plan on not a fan, so please forgive me. But there is this trailer for the new Star Trek movie that is pretty amazing. And in this trailer, there's a line where the admiral, whoever he is, tells the young leader in training. I know you, some of you know who I'm talking about. So the admiral tells the young leader in training. He says this to him. He says, there's greatness in you, but there's not an ounce of humility. There's greatness in you, but there's not an ounce of humility. And he goes on to say, you think you can't make mistakes, but there's going to come a moment when you realize you're wrong about that, and you're going to get yourself and everyone under your command killed. I think the same could be said to many of you. There is greatness in you, but there is not an ounce of humility. I mean, you, you may know how to fake humility with self-deprecating humor or when you're in these social situations, you're deferential to other people, right? But on a whole, inside, there's no humility. It's just surface. And so there's greatness in you, but not an ounce of humility. And according to the Bible, it's time for a shattering and fracturing fall. What would that look like? You're like, some big calamity? No, you know, you see, here's the deal. Pride leads to all types of daily problems. Let me just throw some examples your way. You see, pride can, can harm other people by what you say. Let me put this up to you. Proverbs 14.3 says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. So the idea here is a fool, he speaks up. And a lot of times it's proud and arrogant words. And he's speaking up and saying something foolish. And it's just a, a rod comes out of his mouth and beats him on the back. Which is another way to say that your words of arrogance have had great consequences. Some of you have split up friendships with other people because of arrogant and proud words. Some of you have been denied getting into a school because you are a jerk. Or you're denied getting a job because you're an arrogant jerk. And it just comes out. You, you see how this arrogance in our heart can come out and manifest through our mouth and can cause a variety of problems. But not only can it cause problems for yourself, but if you don't get a hold of this right now, pride can destroy your family. No joke. Proverbs 15.25 says... Proverbs 15.25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. That's the idea that the humble widow is protected by the Lord, but he, he tears down the house of the proud. You may think pride is just your issue, but your pride can have an impact upon your family. Pride leads to divorce. Pride leads to financial ruin, even for your family. Pride can lead to your kids going off the rails. By what you do, the way you act, you transfer a lot of that junk to your kids. And so you got not this built-up self-esteem, but you got some arrogant, punk kids. What you do can impact your kids, your heart. But as bad as all those problems are, pride destroying your life, pride destroying those close to you, as bad as all those terrible problems are, the worst aspect of pride said it before, said it again. God is opposed to the proud. What is God's opinion about 
the proud. This is a very striking Proverbs. Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So when God sees the arrogant in heart, he has a strong aversion. And you want to kind of go, well, why? Can we just talk about God for a moment here? Yes, we should. Get this. God is holy, and he's the righteous one, and he deserves all glory, and his standards written in the Bible are to be followed. And so here's the deal. We're to be dependent children who look to his standards and seek to glorify him. But what happens is that we often set ourselves up as many gods, many gods, and we want to set up our own standards to please ourselves. And basically we're just spitting in the face of God, giving him the finger, whatever you want to say, and that is pride. And God is opposed to the proud and against the proud. And, and ultimately, the unrepentant proud, I know you don't like to talk about this in church, but the unrepentant proud go to hell and face his wrath forever. But that's why we want to be those who repent of our pride, the, the repentant proud. But even those of us who have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we know that lurking at our heart's door is pride. And it's so subtle. So let's stop talking about broad generalities of the destruction of the proud, and let's get really, really specific. That's what I love about our church. We want to get really specific. Talk to me about the inner workings of pride. Give me specifics. What does the Bible say about what's going on in me, in you, when you are proud? What is it? So let me just kind of give you some of these inner workings of pride. I'll, I'll put them up so you can follow along. The first is this. Pride leads you to believe that you are the ultimate source of wisdom. Pride leads you to believe that you are the ultimate source of wisdom. Proverbs 26.12. Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So worse than a fool, as someone has once said, is a deluded fool. Someone who is locked into their own infallible wisdom. Oh, do you know people like that? They're just locked into their own infallible wisdom. They are not teachable. They don't want to listen to you. They're going to do what they're going to do. It's not a good place to be. The Apostle Paul kind of echoes this as well in the New Testament where he says in 1 Corinthians 3.18, he basically says, don't be a deluded fool. He said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So the Bible is basically saying, hey, you know what? You need to stop being a fool or you need to become a fool in the eyes of the world in order that we may become wise in the eyes of God to forsake our worldly ways of becoming wise and embrace the foolishness of the world, which is wisdom in God's eyes. I really want you to see that when we're dealing with pride, Part of it is that we think we're the ultimate source of wisdom. The second aspect of the inner working of pride is this. Pride leads you to believe that you're right with God and better than others. 
Pride leads you to believe that you're right with God and better than others. And before I go on to describe this, I think this verse describes most of Americans. I'm sure it describes most people in the world. I live in America, and the people I interact with about Jesus, I would say that this one right here describes most Americans. Most people that you talk to, you ask them, why are you going to heaven? And they will tell you, because I am a good person. And then I ask them about other people who are, you know, the, the great sinners. What about Hitler? You know, you all these random things. Well, I'm better than Hitler. Or I'm better than so-and-so down the street. I would say this, this describes most Americans. And these verses, pay attention to these verses. Proverbs 30, 12, and 13. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. So you got this self-deception and arrogance working together, where the idea is, I am clean in God's eyes. He's going to accept me because I'm a good person. But that person over there, he's probably not going to accept them because they're not good like me. And the Bible is saying, guess what? You are covered in excrement. Did you catch that? You're clean in your own eyes, but you got poop all over you. Put the kids in here. It's describe sin. That's how deceived we can be. We can have our pride thinking that we're awesome. We're good with God. We're better than them. We're certainly getting in. It reminds you that the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. Remember when he prayed, he looked down on the tax collector. He said, uh, God, I thank you that I'm, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And the message is not that Christians are better. No, no. The message is we see that we got filth all over us. We see the sin, and we want to find forgiveness. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we want to say, okay, God, we see it. We need forgiveness. And the last thing I want you to see about the inner workings of pride is, is this one. Pride leads you to seek your glory instead of seeking God's glory. Pride has a subtle kind of working where you want to fish for those who will give you glory. And the proverb is Proverbs twenty-five twenty-seven. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. That's interesting. Eating a lot of honey will make you sick. Eating a lot of sweets over the Christmas break, as some of you have experienced, will also make you sick. So is eating too much of getting your own glory. It's sickening. You ever see people like that? They just want you to give them glory. I, I hate when I have it in myself. You know, sometimes after I preach the word of, of God, I, I've seen a, a temptation with me over the past 15 years when I'm done preaching. I'll, I'll start floating around and say, okay, who, who, who can pat me on the back? <laughs> who can tell me that was a good sermon? Please, come on, come on tell, me, tell me that was a good sermon. Give me some glory, please. I need some praise and affirmation. And, and I feel like I'm a little kid saying, hey, I need, I need a ribbon. I need a trophy. Tell me that, that I'm awesome. Give me some glory. It's moving beyond that healthy self-esteem and moving into pride. 
because I want the glory. So hopefully I've taken you to the pit and the depth of yuckiness, of pride. That was my point. I hope that you see there is pride in your heart. There's something off. There's something not right. And so the idea is is that you want to move from being proud to being humble. I, I, I guarantee probably every single person in here wants to be more humble. So how do you move from being proud and arrogant and dealing with pride to being humble and expressing humility? Here's the answer. And I have no other answer. It really is going to have something to do significantly with your heart inwardly being changed through the gospel of Jesus. That's the answer, but let me kind of explain what I mean. See, when you become a Christian, you move from this selfish glory seeker and something starts to change with inside of you so you start to become more of a God seeker. Not perfectly, but you start to want to please him. It's like when, when you become a Christian, you understand that your self-interest and self-focus is hideous in the sight of God because you're trying to get glory for yourself. And you, you repent, you change, and you find forgiveness in Jesus because Jesus was the one, the most humble person to ever live, hanging on the cross for the proud. So I guess he was considered an abomination in God's eyes because of our sin. So wrath is coming upon the humble one, Jesus, because the arrogant one has a substitute. I have no better story than that. I have no better truth than that, that the substitute is the most humble one ever, bearing the wrath of God for me, the arrogant one. I mean, we just just proclaim this message around the world. And the message is that I can be forgiven, the arrogant one, can be forgiven because the substitute was a humble one bearing God's wrath for me. And through faith in that humble one, Jesus, who died and buried and rose again, I can be forgiven. And get this, when you become a Christian, this switch happens. Something just happens in in your mind and and gradually in your heart and in your feelings. Something just switches where you start to say, you know what? I think I want to live for God's glory. I think I want to try to please him and not me. And, and it's not our own power. It's not our own strength. Something happens. The Holy Spirit lives in us, in our, in our head, in our heart, and our hands start to be changed. I saw an image of this over the Christmas break. Over the Christmas break, I went to go see a movie. And it was one of the best movies I have ever seen. And I think I cried through most of the movie. In fact, when it was over, I was crying so hard, I didn't know what to do. Because the lights were coming on. (laughs) And so, I ran to the bathroom like a little girl. I did. No offense, little girls. But I was in there, and I was crying in the bathroom. I couldn't control myself. And, And here's the deal. You're like, whoa, what movie is that? Well, this, sh- this shows you um, I am so uncultured. I really am. I'm, I'm a barbarian. I-, I know so little of anything. But the movie was Les Mis. I didn't know the story at all. Why did you tell me? 
<laughs> so for all of you barbarians out there who don't know the story, I'm not going to tell you the story. Because it will just hit you. It will just take you. Anyway, so the main character, the main character, all right, he gets forgiven. I can't believe it. He gets forgiven. And then he changes. The switch happens. Something happens to him inside, and he's not this arrogant, proud man. He's, he's humble, and he's a servant. And that's what I'm talking about, that, that, that gospel switch within us where we say, God, I am arrogant, I am proud, and I am against you. Please forgive me, and bam, the change happens. It's his work. So I'm not going to give you steps at all. I'm just talking to you how the gospel can change us to being proud, arrogant sinners into being humble servants. Because we realize we've been forgiven much through Jesus. And who are we to be arrogant and proud anymore? So let's kind of look through at this humility or the inner workings of humility. You know, got the second part is humility, dependence on God and service to others. So let's try to look at a little bit as we finish up here about the inner workings of humility. The first one is very hard. Here we go. The humble embrace the great reversal. The humble embrace the great reversal. Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. If you set yourself up as superior, I'm just, I'm just going to sit back and watch. Do you want me to film you? Because you're about to fall. But those who pull back from a focus on themselves and humble themselves and seek the glory of God and the service of others, the Bible is very clear that we will receive honor. And the Bible is consistent about this throughout the whole thing. The Lord Jesus said this, in Matthew 23, 12. Good one to memorize. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Do you, do you think we have an example of somebody who's done that? Huh? Who can we look to? The greatest example ever, Jesus. He embraced the great reversal. He stepped down from heaven and humbled himself, became a man. Not only just became a man, he experienced the humiliating death on the cross. And what happened? He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He came back alive, and now he's exalted the right hand of the Father. The great reversal has indeed taken place in his life. And all those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, one day you'll be exalted in heaven. You'll be with the Lord. But the question I have is this. Can we experience that now? Can we have in our circumstances a great reversal from going from humble circumstances to being exalted now? Well, I think so. I don't always know how what it looks like. But I think for those of us who humble us now to suffer through whatever, not being recognized, not having any attention things not going well, humbling yourselves and submitting to God, not in everything, and I can't tell you what it looks like, and this is not perfect, it's for sure perfect in heaven, but I think there could be the great reversal even now. And you kind of want to know, when's it going to happen? I mean, if we were at a big revival crusade, we'd be talking about your breakthrough. When are you going to get your breakthrough? 
I don't know. But look what the Bible says. Let me put this verse out from the book of 1 Peter. Look what it says. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. And if you want to underline something or circle something, you can, you can even do it in the pew Bible. I don't care. <laughs> circle proper time. And that may be heaven. But God's timing to bring you out of suffering or whatever you're going through will happen at the proper time, maybe on this earth, maybe in eternity. But it, it will happen for those of us who humble ourselves and embrace the great reversal. The second inner working of humility seems kind of odd. Let me put it up for you. It says, the humble have the right disposition to receive wisdom. The humble have the right disposition to receive wisdom. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So think about it this way. Pride is a prelude to destruction. And so humility is a prelude to wisdom. Many people will say that the book of Proverbs is their favorite book. I don't want to see a show of hands, but I think a lot of you would say the book of Proverbs is your favorite book in the Bible. And so I want to kind of not be rude, but be nice with you and say, okay, let me talk to your heart. Why is the book of Proverbs your favorite book in the Bible? Is it a motivation because of pride or humility? Let me see what I mean. You're very gifted and you have talents and you have a, amazing abilities from God, but you're looking for some principles to kind of supercharge those talents so that you can be successful. And so where do you look? You come to Proverbs, and you say, I want to be successful. I want to be great. I want, I want approval. I really want glory for myself. So I'm going to take these principles and put them in my life, and then I'm going to be successful. Now, is, is that really the best motive? It, it, I can't judge your motives, but it, it almost sounds like pride, doesn't it? And yet the verse says, it's the humble who get the wisdom. And so if you're coming to Proverbs because you want to be the most awesome person ever, and it really had anything to do with God or glorifying him or pleasing him, you really need to check your motives. Because you're probably not going to get wisdom. Even if you can memorize the whole book, doesn't mean you're getting the wisdom. Because wisdom comes to the humble who say, God, I can't do this. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I need your wisdom. That's that inner working of humility in your heart. The third inner working of humility, we already touched on it before, but why not do it again? It says the humble are open to taking advice. Proverbs 13.10. I'm going to put this in the NIV version. I memorized it in this one. This is a good one. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. And if you think that you're not proud, on this one right here, for those of you who are married, go home. Wives, go to your husbands and say, you know what? Husband, I don't know if anybody calls their husband husband, but husband... I want you to examine my life and tell me how can I be a better wife? Who has resistance right now? 
Yeah, yeah. All right, husbands, go home to your wives and say, Wife, how can I change? Give me some advice on where I should change, not you, just me, so that I can be a better husband. Any husbands have some resistance right now? You see that? That's pride. But the humility working in our hearts, the humble, will take advice. I dare you to go do that. I dare you. Let me know how it goes. Because I'm not going to do it. You do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, maybe I will now. Uh, the last idea of the, this inner working of humility is this. Oh, let's just be honest. The humble accomplish great things, but give God all the glory. Let's just be honest. A lot of you are going to hit a lot of home runs in life. You're just going to, you're going to be the top of your field. You are going to probably be the best. I mean, I'm not, I mean, this is way it's going to happen. You just, you're talented. You're going to be awesome. You're going to do great things. A lot of you are going to cash in. A lot of cool things are going to happen that are going to be great. And the issue is, when those things happen, when you get the promotion, when you're awesome, what comes out of you? And here's the last verse. Proverbs 27, 21. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Oh, that's good. So the, the idea is that fire brings out the impurities in silver and gold. So when someone says, good job, or you praise, you get promoted, what comes out of your heart? What's, what's going on? There's this dude, my, my son and I have been, been reading this book called Start Here. It's about, it's a follow-up to that book, Do Hard Things. And in this book, Start Here, they tell the story of a 16-year-old boy. Maybe you heard this story. A few years ago, circumnavigated uh, the globe in a uh, 30-foot sailboat all by himself. You heard of this guy? All by himself. And so while he's doing this, he is having problems with storms, sickness, and even pirates, right? And he did it. And he, he set a record. He's the youngest one to ever do it. I think he was like on the cover of ESPN magazine. I mean, this is, but you know what? That dude is a believer. And when he got all this media attention, and he's giving glory to God. It wasn't one of these, I made a touchdown, <laughs> none of that trite stuff. No, none of that stuff. It's very humble, you know, giving God the glory, giving him the attention. And I'm just wondering, when, when that comes your way, What's going on in here? Are you really going to say, God, that's all you. And you did it. I totally could not do that. I can't believe you did that, God. I give you all the praise and all the glory. We often see what's in our hearts through calamity, but we really see what's in your hearts when you have success. So here's the deal. We want to move from pride to humility, and that comes through the gospel, and it comes through being cultivated on a daily basis. And so I'm going to do something here that, that's, that I, I just want to, I want to see what's going on in your heart right now at this moment. 
And so I'm going to ask some diagnostic questions to see what's going on so you can uncover your own pride and find forgiveness in the gospel, a God who's not against you, but he, he, he forgives the repentant proud. And so what we're going to do, here's, here's the deal. We're going to go to this time of prayer, and while we're in prayer, I'm going to ask these probing questions. And so you need to recognize where pride is in your heart, and you need to confess it to God and receive forgiveness. And so when we come out of this prayer time into worship, you should be like on the ceiling worshiping God because of his forgiving grace. So you, you get that? You see where we're going? So we're going to go in prayer now. So let's go ahead and just every head bowed and every eye closed. Here we go. We're going to this time of prayer and just let these questions just reveal pride in your heart and seek forgiveness in Jesus. So let's go. Are you consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that you are better than others? Like in, in class, are you looking down at your other students or even at church this morning, are you looking down at other people in here or with your friends? And for some of you, you really look down on your spouse. You don't respect them, you dog them, and you feel like you're much better than them. Is that you? What about in your speech? Do you exaggerate? Are the plain words not enough? Do you have to exaggerate? And do most of your conversations center around you? Where you try to find ways to stir the conversation back to yourself? Just think about your conversations this week with someone else. Were they 90% about you? And what about God's standards? Do you think you have a better way than God's standards? Do you dismiss God's standards of sexual purity? Because you think that you arrogantly have found a better way? Do you dismiss his standards when it comes to finances because it's your money? What about your social media inputs? Are you constantly complaining? A large percentage of your inputs have to do with complaining about something? Are you always complaining? Are you a consistent complainer? What is going on? What about when you're driving, your daily commute? Do you often find yourself frustrated that everybody else is driving too slow or too fast because you're the standard by which they should follow? Do you always have to be right? And when someone confronts you, you're just defensive. You're, you're thin-skinned or you're too sensitive. Or you fear other people or you spend too much time worrying about others think because you want glory. You want to be thought of as well. And is it difficult for you to let it go when your accomplishments aren't recognized? not congratulated or you're not promoted does resentment and bitterness stay in your heart wherever your pride was recovered 
take this time in prayer to confess and to repent and to remember the gospel of your acceptance in Jesus and your love by him, that he is the humble one who died in your place. Continue in this attitude of prayer and confession and forgiveness and may humility and worship start to flow.